0: Let me start off with this. I wanna. I wonder if you might catch this. You know, you've, if you've been around kids, whether it's your own or a, a niece or nephew, or family or friends, you might notice something about kids that they're pretty famous for. And it's basically this: kids love to do the exact opposite of what you ask them to do. You ask them to do something, they seem to do the opposite. You tell them not to do something, and they seem to do the opposite. Now, when kids are really small, we sometimes feed this in them, right? It's like, don't touch your nose and they touch their nose or your nose and you laugh about it and, and somebody's videotaping in the background and you say it again and don't do it and they do it anyways. And these make for some really, really funny home videos, but uh, it's a really dark side of every baby. It's the rebellion of every kid, right? And uh, now maybe that's an extreme way of thinking about that, but think about this for a second. You probably know this feeling. I know I've had this feeling when you're asked to do something And then just because you're asked, you want to do the complete opposite or you want to ignore what you're being asked or maybe what's suggested to you. It's this kind of independent streak that we have. Sometimes that happens to me in a restaurant. I'm looking at the menu. I ask the waiter or waitress. They kind of suggest the burger. And I'm like... I think there's a conspiracy against me. I'm going to go for the ribs. Who knows what they're doing in the back. And I just want to kind of do my own thing and, and like make sure that nobody's fooling Dave Manifo in a restaurant, right? Now, maybe you feel like that. You, you're, you're being suggested something. You're like, no, I want to do my own thing. We do it these days, even with some of the things that are going on in our society these days, maybe for the help of others. And we're like, nope, nobody can tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. We are, as human beings, a rebellious creature, and as we come to the end of our Advent series today, Waiting on the Word, uh, I want to kind of address this idea that we see in the prologue to John's Gospel. Now John's Gospels, or his prologue, describes this incredible, majestic, even mysterious process of the world waiting for the Word, or Jesus. And we've discovered the Word, or Christ, as life, uh, the Word as light last week. But what happens when the world rejects the very thing it's been waiting for? What happens when the world just says, nope, I'm not interested, or that's really great, that looks good, that actually seems true, but I don't want any of it. What do you call that? And so I want to jump back into John's prologue, and uh, John chapter 1, the first 13 verses, we're going to read them together, and we're going to discover, I think, something inside this around what it means to wait for something that you end up There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. True light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. God, as we uh, look at this prologue one more time this week in this season of Advent, um, God, grab our attention for these next few moments. Help us to see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear and discern our response, God, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we read through this prologue, we're noticing something as we move through it over a few verses a week. And verse 10 is interesting because it gives us something a little bit new to understand about the word or Jesus' relationship to the actual world. Verse 10 says he was in the world or the place, right? And then it reminds, John reminds us that the word made the world or everything in the world was made by him. So the place and the people... But then John says in verse 10 that the world or the people now didn't know him. I mean, it's, he wraps this all up in one sentence, but you think about that, like, didn't know him? How did this happen? How do they not know him? How do they not want to know him, maybe? In verse 11, he tells us this way. He says that he, Jesus, came to his own. So, like, think of Jesus coming initially to his tribe, his people, his ethnic group, the Jews, and, uh, and then consider that he came to Israel first, his heritage people, his own people. But you can think broader. Jesus didn't only come to Israel. He initially did, but he came for the world, the people he created. But John says that these people, that, that the world that he came to, his own, did not receive him. Or another version might say, did not accept him. Have you ever walked into a place that you should have been accepted Maybe family or friends, but you weren't. Maybe you walked into a school or a work environment. You figured, well, these are my people. These are my colleagues. And then you, you have a sense of rejection. And you're wondering why. Like, I've done the right things. I've, I've, I've worked hard. I've been part of this family for so long. Why do I feel a sense of rejection? So step back for a second in in all of this introduction to John's gospel. like Think of what he tells us about Jesus or the word. He starts off saying, all things came into being through him. In other words, the thumbprint of Christ is on creation, is on humanity, is on you and me. Paul will later say in the book of Romans that, that creation witnesses to who God is, to what he's about. John tells us that there's a life in this word or life in Jesus. John says that there's a light in Jesus and that this light shines to all people. In other words, everybody, everybody we lock eyes with has a possibility, uh, an availability to receive the light of Jesus in their lives. Last week, John reminded us, John Wayne reminded us how Jesus enlightens, Jesus guides. When you think of light, we can even see how light exposes Then we're told that God actually sends somebody, a real person named John the Baptist, to the world, or initially to Israel, to prepare the way for Jesus. So God, in his love for us, and his grace for us, sends somebody to help them see that Jesus was coming, that this word, this light, this life was coming. John calls Israel to repent, to to turn around. They were walking away from God. They were not walking in the way of God. They were missing everything God was doing. And God sends John as a prophet to call them to follow and be ready for this Messiah's entry, this Messiah's coming, this Messiah's mission. And why did he send John? So they wouldn't miss Jesus. So we wouldn't miss Jesus. So the world wouldn't miss Jesus. And so that eventually we would believe in Jesus. In fact, all of John's gospel, right to the very end, he says that he writes his whole gospel so that people would come to believe in Christ. He sums up who Jesus is in verse nine. He says, he is the true light coming into the world. Now, all this, all this about the word, all this about Jesus for the world, in the world, shining a light into the world, And the world didn't know him. I mean, did they not see? Did they not hear? I mean, later we read in the Gospels that when people heard Jesus speak or teach, they're like, who is this guy that speaks with authority? When they saw him heal and perform miracles, they're like, oh my gosh, this must be the Messiah. When they see him walking to the cross, but then later resurrecting from the dead. I mean, we just think of the whole story. And I think John's also describing not just the non-acceptance in that moment, but the non-acceptance as a whole. Did he, was he not bright enough? Was he not loving enough? Was he not real enough? And yet John says they did not accept him. And I think inside this piece is such an important question. And, and it's, it's particularly an Advent question because Advent anticipates the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ now. And it's this question. Have we accepted Jesus I don't mean, you know, the the kind of short little phrase that sometimes modern Christianity has highlighted. You know, have you accepted Jesus in your heart? Although there's part of what that means when we follow Christ. But have you accepted Jesus, received him, welcomed him into your life as Lord, as leader, as an authority, as God? And before John gets into this description of Christ as he writes his gospel, he confronts this kind of response in this prologue, this response that the world had for Jesus. And the response was this, rejection. The world did not accept him. What other word can you use except to say that the world rejected him? Now, we know that not everybody rejected him. We know that many of us, uh, even just participating this morning, say, well, I didn't reject Jesus, I'm following Jesus. So, yes, there was a, a microcosm of people that, that accepted Christ. There was a microcosm of people that followed Christ. There was then a growing group of people, the church in the book of Acts and throughout early church history. But it was always a microcosm of initially the Jews, a microcosm of the Gentiles, a microcosm of the Roman Empire, Asia Minor, the microcosm of our World. But when you really think about it, the majority of the culture he arrived in, whether it was religious people or irreligious people, the majority of the world often rejects Jesus. They don't accept him. And that's a reality we need to wrestle with. And a question Advent you know, kind of confronts us with. Have we welcomed Christ fully into our lives. One of the reasons, explanations the scripture gives for this is the state of the world. That the world is in a sinful state separated from God. I often use the word broken or blind to describe our sinful state. And the reason I like using those words is because it helps me understand the effect of sin in my life, in your life, and in the life of the world. When I see the brokenness in the world, I realize the effect of sin. When I see the sense of being lost in the world... It's the effect of sin, being blind. It's it's a good way to understand the effects of sin in our lives. But there's another word that maybe I don't use often enough, and it came in conversation as we were developing this series, and it's this word that I think this text helps us understand, and it's the word rebellion. That there's a rebellion, an affront to Jesus, to who he is, that he was sent from God. The word rebellion helps us kind of describe what it means to reject jesus Uh, maybe i'll describe it with this line on the screen that rebellion is knowing that something is life or light but rejecting it anyways knowing that something is full of light full of of love full of life and light but rejecting it anyways i've heard this version play out in so many people's lives over the years I mean, I've chatted with people because I love to see people come to know Christ and, and we love to nurture a relationship with Christ. That's part of our mission, connecting people to a growing relationship with Christ. But I've heard people say, I've been interested in Christ for years, but I don't, I don't want to respond to him. Or maybe I've heard this, I've heard God's voice calling me, maybe not literal, like his literal voice, but I've, I've sensed God calling me, nudging me, prompting me, but I don't want to have anything to do with it. You know what? I've heard this. I've seen signs of Christ's power and Christ's truth in other people's lives, even around me. But, or maybe sometimes we use excuses, like we want to use science as an excuse or ambition as an excuse not to respond to the call of Christ, where there really become straw man excuses. See, rebellion is often this way. I'll describe it in another phrase. Knowing what your heart needs, but choosing what you want instead. Because you just don't want to respond. Usually it's a difference between like um, quick satisfaction and true satisfaction. Think about it kind of in a, in a moral sense for a moment. Think about a man or a woman who's longing for intimacy, deep intimacy in a relationship And they choose the shortcut. They choose the quick pleasure. They choose the quick sexual encounter. In what they don't realize they're doing is they're rebelling against actually true deep intimacy that can be found within the context of a long loving relationship and marriage and choosing something different. Rebellion is often choosing the quick instead of the meaningful. Now, rebellion isn't always bad. I remember Tony Campolo used to say, teach your kids what they should rebel against. (laughs) Because often we might not realize that we sometimes influence each other in rebelling uh, to the wrong things, where we should encourage each other to rebel against the right things. So rebellion isn't always bad. And sometimes rebellion is needed when there's something wrong in place and we we need to rebel against it. But let me bring it back to this idea. When we're rebelling against the life, the word, the light, we usually rebel against the truth that can be staring us in the face. And think of this. The word, Jesus, was staring them in the face and they didn't accept him. They didn't accept him. So think of it this way. They rejected the word they've been waiting for. And sometimes we do that. We reject the actual word we've been waiting for. We reject what we need and choose what we want and then recognize only later that we never got what we truly needed. They reject the word they were waiting for. There's a a Jewish saying in one of the wisdom books in Jewish literature called the Book of Enoch And it says this, Wisdom, capital W, so kind of think like the personification of divine wisdom. Wisdom went forth to make her dwelling among the children of men and found no dwelling place. Found no dwelling place. When I read that, I think of a line in the Gospels that talks about Jesus. That the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. The son of man. The one who taught with authority. The one who healed. The one who comforted. The one who loved the poor. The one who came to free the oppressed. The one, that son of, of God. Had no place. To lay his head. Often the very thing we long for. The very thing that is coming for us. For our good. Sometimes finds no place among us. And that's rebellion. So there's two kind of ways to think of rebellion. And I'll say it this way. The first one is ultimate rebellion. The next one is momentary rebellion. Ultimate rebellion is basically the the rebellion that I'm talking about here in this text. This this rebellion of the unbeliever, the one who doesn't believe, the one who chooses to ignore Christ even if they've been presented uh, him to them. The one who maybe has seen who God is, has experienced, has learned. There's something there but still says, no, I want nothing of it. That's an ultimate rebellion. And there's a spirit in the world, small s, a spirit in the world that is often rebellious against God, against Christ. Here's John, the same writer, but writing later in his life, probably in his 70s, to an early church a group of Christians. And he says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. He says, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And then he says this. He says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. John was telling these these first century Christians, listen, any time someone does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God, it's a rejection. It's an Antichrist spirit. It's an, it's an affront towards who God is and who Jesus is. Now, I know as soon as I say the word Antichrist, you might be thinking about an end times idea or this and this and that. But here, John is helping us see there's, there was already in the first century the, the spirit of the Antichrist, something as an affront to who God, did, who God is, this rebellion against God. And the, the way we know that is that when someone doesn't acknowledge that Jesus is from God especially when they've been confronted with him or introduced to him. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says it this way. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his or her arms. You catch that? Last week, I think John Wayne talked about the the idea that finding the fullness of life in Christ doesn't just mean that our life gets kind of better, like we make more money or we have an easier life or we we fall into more comfort or, you know, like we do better with relationships. I mean, this is an overflow of Jesus influencing our life, but it's not the impetus of what the gospel longs to do in us with the fullness of life. And that's kind of what C.S. Lewis is getting at. It's a fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. Like, go get some therapy and then you'll know what the gospel is. No, he, he or she is a rebel who must lay down their arms. Their arms, yes. Imagine guns and warfare and you'll just lay it down and say, I surrender. And the New Testament tells us that there is a wisdom or philosophy of this age that is contrary to who Jesus is. And there's an ultimate rebellion there it's too easy just to kind of say, oh, that ultimate rebellion. Oh, there's people who disregard Christ and, and kind of preach at like, I don't know, a crowd that you don't even know their faces and you just want to tell the world that they've rejected Christ and not recognize that there's often rebellion in your own heart. Even those of us who've come to know Christ and are following him. And I want to call that momentary rebellion because there's momentary rebellion in my heart, in my life, I can, if we have time for coffee, I'll tell you five or six stories of momentary rebellion in my own life following Jesus. And probably more than five or six times happens quite regularly. Because as a believer, as a follower of Christ, there are times when we also ignore Christ in our lives. We ignore his leadership, his lordship, his direction Sometimes it's because it's going to cost me too much. So I, I know where Christ is leading me. I know what he's teaching me. I know his authority, but I'm like, you know what? This is going to cost me too much. I don't want to do it. And I turn away. That's rebellious. It might be a fear. Like I'm too fearful to step into this. I'm too fearful to follow in this way. I'm too fearful to let go. And so we have a momentary rebellion there. Maybe it's our insecurities. Maybe it's our ambition. We're so ambitious Even as Christ followers, we have this humanistic ambition that we just ignore the fact that Christ is calling us and leading us and guiding us. And he's our Lord and our authority. Sometimes it's pleasure because we want a quick pleasure over long-lasting, joyful satisfaction in Christ. I mean, I can tell you stories, even from our church community, without naming names, of, of many of us who've rebelled momentarily over the years. And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're still living in the consequences of that rebellion. Like you're following Jesus. You, you know, you love the Lord. I'm not discounting that. You're, you're, you're concerned for the world, the church. But you know that there's been momentary rebellious times in your life and you're still living out of the consequences because you can't get out of those consequences. They just are. And so your life is filled with the, the I guess, the effects of that. And, you know, God's amazing because his grace is available for us throughout our walk with him as much as it was available when we first started following Jesus. And you know that even though you're living out of those consequences, your, your, your life in Christ, God can, can redeem even those mistakes. But you know that there's been those momentary rebellious times. Some of you actually were fortunate enough to just stop right at those moments. And you caught yourself and you realized, oh my gosh, if I take one step forward, I'm totally rebelling against God's love and will and vision for my life. And I know some of you and I know those moments because those were moments where you came back to the church or came, talked with people within your life and, and, and you recognized that you, you actually confessed it and you said, oh man, I was so close to allowing that momentary rebellion just to take me over the edge. And you look back and you remember exactly how that felt. Fleming Rutledge says this in one of her sermons on Advent. She says, none of us serve and honor God as we really should. All of us are in rebellion against God in one way or another. I'm, I'm not putting this on you. I'm talking to myself here. I know that in one way or another, there's moments where I realize I'm rebelling against the lordship of Jesus in my life. And so here's uh, this kind of stark reminder to us in John's prologue. And kind of a strange message to end 2020 with. But it's in the scriptures and we decided on walking through this ver- these verses. And they're confronting us. And, and I want to think about it this way. Because he- he- here's what we're tempted to do. And here's what I'm tempted to do. Tempted, I'm tempted to come to the end of this year and I'm tempted to just blanket everything that happened this year and just blame, blame, blame it on circumstances. Blame it on COVID. Blame it on social distance. Blame it on government restrictions. Blame it on whatever. And there are definitely circumstances that you and I had no control over. There is definitely uh, so much grace that we need to give one another in such a difficult year. But what I don't want us to do and, and what I don't want to do myself is to just blame everything on those circumstances. Instead, I want to ask myself this question, and I hope you ask yourself this question too. Where were you rebellious in this last year? Where, despite the circumstances, were some of your decisions and some of your posture and some of your responses actually rebellious towards the Lord's work in your life? Where have you rejected the leadership of Christ in this last year? And I'm not saying this to put extra guilt on anybody or whatever. I'm saying it in complete confessional honesty because these are whatever season of life we're in, we can't just look back to those seasons and blanket everything towards circumstances. We must stop and acknowledge where have we rejected the leadership of Jesus? Where have we been rebellious? And here's my invitation to you and me because I believe there's so much life and growth on the other end of this even despite our circumstances. And here's my encouragement and and invitation to you. And here's this line. It'll come up on the screen, actually. And I want to say this. Let's recognize our rebellion and choose to receive rather than reject. Let's recognize our rebellion and choose to receive rather than reject. The writer of Hebrews tells this to this group of Christians In the first century. And he's quoting Psalms 95, which is actually dealing with a time in Israel's history where they were rebellious against the Lord. So it's all this cumulative. And here's this this first century writer speaking to these first century Christians about their own rebellion. And And he says this, quoting Psalm 95. He says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The context of that passage as well is the rest of God for us. And he's saying, if you want to find true rest, if you want to find true joy, if you want to try and find true life, if you want to truly experience the flourishing life of Jesus in your life, don't harden your hearts to the voice of God as you did in rebellious times, but turn to him. Recognize your rebellion and, and instead receive. Repent and Receive. And here's my call to you. Whether you've been tracking with us for a while and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, maybe you say, you know what, I'm just kind of in process. And so you're like, you're kind of in that unbeliever-believer stage. And I just want to encourage you to consider just just dropping the arms, just, just dropping the rebellion and choose Jesus and follow Christ and serve him. And, and if, you're, if you're a Christian or a believer and you've been following Christ, to recognize, hey, I've had moments of rebellion, even yesterday, and I want to recognize those. And I want to turn and trust Christ. Because here's the thing, when you reject what you're saying, whether you're rejecting Christ ultimately or you're rejecting Christ momentarily, what you're telling Jesus is, I will not let you lead. You're saying, Jesus, don't lead me. Don't lead me. That's what rejection is. But, but receiving is recognizing our rebellion and relinquishing, as C.S. Lewis said. And it involves repentance. Like John the Baptist came calling to repentance, asking, will you turn your life around and align yourself with the word of God, Jesus, the life, the light, the love of God in Christ. That's my invitation to you today. And again, if you're just... Newly considering this, oh, my invitation to you is is understand that we as humans, all of us, you and me, we're rebellious. And that's part of the reason why we reject Jesus. And I encourage you, no, don't reject Jesus. Trust Jesus. Follow Jesus. And may that be true for all of us, even in our momentary momentary, um, rebellion, that we would choose Christ at every intersection of our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's tough to just pause and allow your light to expose us. I know it's hard for me. And God, I personally recognize and admit my momentary rebellion. I recognize that even though I have come to know you and your love and your joy, And I love learning from you and I love growing in you and I love your church and I love your people and I love your mission. Oh God, I admit that there is moments of rebellion that continue to pop up in my own life. Thank you for your grace and your constant invitation to turn and trust you. God, help me to recognize those things. Help us to recognize those moments. God, there's so much life on the other side when we just relinquish our arms before you, relinquish our fight before you, and truly choose to let Jesus lead us in everything. And God, for those who are listening today that are choosing Christ for the first time, God. May they see such a beautiful, incredible, majestic, robust, life-giving vision in Christ. Oh God, that would appeal them to say yes to Jesus. That would help them see that their rebellion is not worth it and that there's life and life to the fullest in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.